Welcome to season three of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting. I'm Garrett McMillan, a new sophomore on this year's Alabama baseball team, and thanks to our new NIL regulations, I can be paid a nominal amount to promote this podcast. A very nominal amount. Is there another word for less than nominal? Just stick to the script, Garrett. Okay. Tom and JT will be rambling on about SEC football again this year with a high lean on the Crimson Tide. Hey, have you guys ever considered I'm not bucking, you're bucking? Garrett, the script. Okay. Here are your hosts, Tom and JT. Welcome to season three. episode of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting, the 15th best Bama podcast out there. I'm very anxious anxious to see why this podcast is named The Recovery. We, Tom could go a number of ways. Speaking of Tom, I'm half of your host team, JT. The other half is Tom, of course. Tom, how's it going? Oh, that's me, buddy. That's me. It's going well. It's going well. It's uh, The recovery basically was more label for me and maybe the Alabama fan base after Saturday's, uh, uh, you know, born burner of a game. We, uh, I, I think several of us probably ended up in ICU with heart palpitations or something after that one. So I, th- I think the recovery is 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 basically a tribute to those guys that are still fighting, still trying to get out of the hospital, and we'll be ready for next week. Oh, there we go. Yeah, it was it was didn't turn out like we had hoped. And I mean, I think you picked it thirty eight ten. I picked it thirty eight twenty. And I, the line settled right around twenty, twenty and a half, twenty one. And you know, one thing I've learned, Tom, it is very hard to cover twenty and a half or twenty one if you're only scoring twenty. It's tough. It's it's been it's been done closely before, but it's it's a very tough number to get over with. You only put up twenty. Hey, before I forget, well, one of the tougher numbers, by the way. One of the I'll, tougher I'll let numbers. you I'll let you get in the commentary after this, but I don't know if you noticed it or not. But Kansas had the rare thirteen point overtime victory this weekend. Did you catch that? Did they? No, yes. I didn't catch that. Got the touchdown they, and got the pick six. And, and instead of being like a, a regular dude and just kneeling on it like you would do in the NFL, he took it back 90-something yards for a, for a yeah. score and won by 13. I, think, I don't know what the line I was, think, but I'm sure that made somebody very happy or very irritated. Yeah, you know, I've, I've told that story on, on this podcast at least once, maybe twice, about the – uh, th- that horrible beat I took the first year of college overtime where I had the underdog at plus 12. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that pick six happened and lost by 13. I mean, it never even occurred to me that I could lose that way uh, being the first year of it and all, and, and I was just dumbfounded. Yeah, because like in NFL, you know, if you've got minus six and a half, you can go ahead and go to the house because you can't – you can only win by six, right? Because if you score a touchdown, you score a touchdown first, it's over. If you kick a field goal, the other team gets it. But then if they score a touchdown, it's over, and it's a three-point line. So, it's yeah, it's, it's rare. But, well, enough about that, and I'm sure we'll get into Bama. We're definitely going to get into Bama, Texas, and we'll look at some of the other games, Florida, Kentucky, Arkansas, South Carolina. And, oh, I, I am licking my chops at the fourth bullet point, Notre Dame, A&M, <laughs> and Nebraska. 
So, but I'll let you hit commentary, then we'll jump into it. Well, I was just going to go around the horn a little bit here uh, over the weekend and and hit on one of those teams down there you just uh, mentioned in the fourth burn, uh, bullet point. That's the Nebraska Cornhuskers. They fired old Mr. Scott Frost on Sunday. Now, we speculated after the first game of the year, I think we tweeted it out, is Frost, is Frost done? And he, he made it two more weeks. So kudos to him for tripling his time in the season uh, a little longer than we thought it would be. But this is going to become a new thing, it looks like getting rid of a coach early if you know he's not going to make it out toward the end of the year. I think USC set that trend last year when they uh, released Helton. They released him early, like third, fourth game of the season, Man, right? It, it, I don't know if it wasn't before the season or maybe after – I think it was after game one. It was because they got beaten to death uh, by the media for doing it when they did it. But, yeah, it was very early. It was very early, and I think – you know, used to the 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 consensus was let him finish out the year. Let's maybe try to hold on to a recruiting class or or whatever whatever the reasons were to extend it as long as possible and then release it. Now the opposite seems to be taking effect, where you're getting rid of him early. You're basically shopping early, and unfortunately, it likely has an effect on the teams that you're trying to to solicit their coach particularly one that you hone in on and has some interest. I, I could I could see where that would be almost impossible for that coach to keep his poise throughout the season, knowing that he's leaving and sit there in the locker room and, and tell those guys what they want to hear, knowing he's out of there at the end of the year. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but that's certainly – I think that's certainly on the table, and that's what they'll be trying to do. Uh, another thing I noticed over the weekend, just an interesting item of note, Georgia won 33 to nothing over our boys from Birmingham, Sanford Bulldogs, this past weekend. They only give up three first downs in the game. That every, every drive Sanford had was a three and out, except for... <laughs> the three that they never strung together more than one by the way so it was three separate drives got one first down on each of those drives Jeez. so uh i know it's just sapford but that's still an impressive feat uh i guess i got defensive envy just just like i had last year and and we'll get into alabama's defense this year but i do want to i do want to throw out a glimmer of hope to the Tide fans. I kind of took a walk down memory lane the last few years just to see how a game like Texas affects a really good team. Obviously, if you're a poor, mediocre team, these types of games can turn you one way or the other. But what I went and did is I looked at the last few national champions and, and just to see, you know, did they have games like this? Did it was if you're good enough? Because that's that's the scuttlebutt out there right now. Alabama's not very good. They're dropping in the polls to two. They're they're not the team we thought they were. Even amongst the Bama faithful, we're worried, and we we have reason to be worried. I mean, there there are certainly some gaps that we'll get into, but just from a 
overall historical perspective, last year, for instance, Georgia won the title. First game of the year, they played Clemson to a 10-3 game. And Clemson was not very good last year, if you remember. Clemson lost four or five games. Pretty pretty mediocre, yeah. for sure. They weren't the, they weren't the Clemson uh, that we had been used to. No, no. So so that that was their first hiccup game. And, and, of course, they end up losing us later before winning it all. But rewind that to the 2020 year. That's us. And that was sort of an anomaly year. I don't think we really had anything. You might say the Florida game because they only lost by six. But really, that game was, uh, that game was um, 15 with just a couple of minutes to go. Oh, and they yeah. scored the they, late they, touchdown, went for two. They had an onside kick where if they had gotten it, they would have had to immediately throw the, to the end zone a Hail Mary for, you know, from 65 yards out. So, yeah, for sure. Yes. Ole Miss, so that was Ole kind Miss of an that anomaly. year. 2020 Ole Miss really gave us fits. But you remember Najee, his only fumble in his college career on the one-yard line, Trying to go backwards into the end zone, I felt like his forward progress had been stopped and they did not blow the whistle. And, of course, Ole Miss got it and took it 99 yards. Kudos to them. But, you know, I if the whistle blows, we never turn the ball over. We score right there, go up uh, that extra touchdown that we never could could gain. But, yeah, you, go ahead, continue. You're, you're on a good track here. Yep, 2019 LSU. Coincidentally, their second game of the season – was at Texas, 45-38, to seven-point game. I remember that game. I didn't mm-hmm. go back and look at all the back and forth, but I remember that game as going back and forth all the way to the end. They, neither one of them could stop each other, and a much different game than we had with Texas on Saturday. But uh, that was not a good Texas team in 2019. Texas hadn't been good for, for many years. They they may not be good this year. We, we That's still up in the air, but... Um, as a matter of fact, Sarkeesian has preaching to them this week about rat poison in a losing effort. <laughs> <laughs> so they're getting a big head. And a lot of teams do that. They get a big head for playing us close. I I like that. I hope I hope there's hundreds and hundreds of teams over the next few years who gets a big head for playing us close but losing. Um, <clears throat> but if you go back to that was 19 LSU. If if you even go back to 18. Clemson, and I didn't go back any further than that because 17, that was us again, but in in 18, Clemson, on the second game of the year, coincidentally, another Texas team, but this was Texas A&M, Clemson went to A&M and won 28-26, to almost Mm -hmm. lost that game. And so this is not unusual for a high-caliber team to have a game like this that they have to sort of get perspective on their team they they it kind of exposes maybe some things they need to work on it's particularly important to note that most of those losses all are close wins all of them except for georgia which was at a neutral site none of them were at home you know that's another experience chip in your purse for going on the road in a hostile environment because i'll, I'll tell you what uh whether Texas is any good or not, again, remains to be seen this season. But that was an absolutely great environment for football. They set a record. Mm-hmm. They had over 105,000 people there. It was a record attendance, the most streamed game ever in the history of football, NFL or college. 
it's very very big big time atmosphere and so i'm definitely proud we got the win but just uh i just thought it was interesting to note that this is not an unusual occurrence for for really good football teams yeah i let me respond to a few a few things first off tom we have a legit sponsor now and uh sorry about uh not running this by you pre-show because we're not getting any money however one of us is getting free product and that one would be me but it's man of means and it's a skincare product and what it is it is they have a full line of skincare and man of means you'd be like well man that, that sounds expensive well it's really not it you, you start doing the math and it is less than a dollar a day on some of their products but check them out. You can Google search Man of Means Skincare, and it, it's a company called Geology. Of course, it's spelled funky because if you typed in geology, you're going to get the regular way you're going to get science type uh, things. So search Man of Means, and I would love to say that if you mention I'm not targeting, you're targeting, you, you get a discount. We're not to that point yet, but I did want to give a <laughs> shout out, a, a plug on this very podcast Man of Means Skincare Products. And before we go any further, remember, we're trying to get you to reach out to us on Twitter at JTIFFBAMA98, at UART Sims, at Targeting Knight. Those are our three Twitter handles that we, we check quite frequently. And so you, in the commentary, you went with Nebraska and, and Frost fired. And I agree. It used to, you know, you would get, man, it used to, you got four years. They didn't even think about firing you before four years. But now with the money that coaches are making, and especially now with the transfer portal, because look at what Lincoln Riley's doing at USC already. I mean, he got his quarterback he wanted. He got the top, the, the top wide receiver, whether you agree with that or not, the guy won the Bolitnikoff last year, so it's hard to argue that point. And, I mean, they're killing teams out there. And granted, who have they beaten and have they traveled yet? I don't know the answer to either one of those questions. I know they beat Stanford. Uh, and I think they did. They went to Palo Alto and beat Stanford. But still, Stanford is not what they were under Harbaugh or uh, was Shaw. Is Shaw still there? I don't even know. But if how bad did Nebraska want Frost gone? If they had waited to October 1st, they would have saved $7.5 million. So that's how bad they wanted him gone. They felt like that he was just a toxic presence in the locker room, I guess, is all I can figure, because you've only got, what, three more games in September, and you could have saved $7.5 million. But that's how important it was for them to, to get him out of there. And with Georgia, I agree. Their defense, they are, they are carrying that flag again of you do not get in the end zone on us. They have yet to allow a touchdown. And, I mean, and frankly, it sucks. We need somebody. I don't know who's going to beat them. They get to dodge. Uh, in the West, they have Auburn, who does not look good right now. They've got Mississippi State, who could give them a headache, and I'm not even sure where that game is. But they dodge Bama. They dodge Arkansas. They dodge Texas A&M. <laughs> you know, they dodge Ole Miss. That could be a, a pain. I mean, they get two of the lesser teams in the SEC West – I, I don't care if they go 12-0. We need somebody to step up and get 20 points on them, 22 points, 27 points, 31 points on them, and prove to everybody that that defense is not impenetrable. But, yeah, right now, and I know it's Sanford, but still, three first downs and zero points. They've allowed three over eight quarters. That is a concern. And with, with Do what now? No, I was, I was agreeing with you. That's definitely a concern. Yeah, and then with uh with with the close games, 
you know, last year, I don't know what game we played Florida. Was that game two when we went down there and jumped on them 24 to nothing or 21 to nothing, and then they converted a fourth down and just kind of turned the tables on us? We ended up winning. And, of course, our what we considered a wake-up game was in, in College Station last year against Texas A&M. And a lot of people are saying that this is our wake-up game. And, hey, that's fine. I mean, it was a it's, – it's a win. You know, you like for your wake-up games to not cost you a loss. And, man, I was resigned to the fact that we were going to lose. I mean, we were not playing well. Uncharacteristic 15 penalties. Will Anderson had five penalties on himself. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, as we get dive deeper into this. But it just was – Man, you know, I, I don't remember which player it was, and I think I read it on the Twitter machine, but you're talking about atmosphere. One of the one of our play, at least one of our players, maybe more, said that that was one of the most difficult games that they'd ever been involved with. Now you got to think, whoever made that comment, and now if it was a freshman, that would be understandable. But I'm pretty sure well, freshmen can't talk to the media, so I'm pretty sure it was a, a at least a second year player, maybe even a third or fourth year player. Think of the games that, that that player has been in, even if he didn't play in that game, he's been in the atmosphere. He has been to Florida in the swamp. He's been to Texas A&M at College Station. He's been to Auburn at, on the Plains. And he's saying the heat, the atmosphere. I mean, hey, Tom, let's face it, it was the big noon kickoff. It was. It was. And, and you know, which one, one thing, too, about the big noon kickoff, and I, I got to thinking about this, and I don't know if you and I talked about it Saturday or, or not, but uh, I was trying to reflect back. That's got to be the biggest game Alabama has played at 11 o'clock in the morning in the last 30 years. I, it's yeah, just, I guess so. It's, it's, it's an unusual <laughs> yeah. game for a – a big time opponent. And I just don't, you know, maybe there was a time where you had a, a you know, sometimes those New Year's bowl games start early. Not that those were really big games because you weren't really playing for something back then if you were in an 11 o'clock New Year's Day game. But mm-hmm. still, I, I just don't recall us playing anyone that really meant anything in a long time at that, at that time slot. I mean, you have to go back to Jefferson Pilot, and even Jefferson Pilot games that when they had the eleven thirty, that wasn't always a good. That was usually not a good thing. I that mean, was the know, home, CBS still had the no. primary two thirty game. So the JP uh, game was home of Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, uh, teams like that. You know. Yep. Yep. That's right. So, I mean, so I guess we can kind of jump in and go back and forth over the Bama game. You know, we did win 20 to 19, clutch field goal by by uh, Will Reichard. Actually hit it twice, you know, hit it and they called timeout. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And boy, well, the first one was just perfect. I'm like, man, please make it. And he did. So uh, just. Hey, let me, uh, let me, let me mention something there. Did you see that Twitter? Uh, I just saw it today and I thought it was really interesting. The, like you said, he kicked the field goal. And they called a timeout. So now they're in timeout. And now they go back and huddle up again. And then he sets up to kick the field goal again. And as the ball is being snapped, whoever is in charge of the net at Texas starts raising the net during that yeah, time. I saw that. Seemed like really an think odd time to it. raise it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think I mean, anything about it, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I, 
I'm thinking that was trying to be a uh, a sort of a uh, y you know a deterrent to to his concentration there by seeing the net because the net is not clear. It's got a big Allstate logo in the middle mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, yeah. and so. It, it, they already had it up for the previous play. Why would you take it down and put it back? It's just a yeah. timeout. He's going to kick the field goal. There is very obvious. So I don't know why you would take it down and then put it back up if you weren't just trying to cause a little bit of a concentration issue with the kicker. Yeah, that's the ch chicanery you get in Texas, Tom. Mm. But, you know, there is, first off, and I'm just going to jump around here. The I, I, Is it called a bubble screen? What is the play called where we snap the ball and immediately we fling it out to the right or the left, like even parallel to the line of scrimmage, maybe even a tad behind the line of scrimmage, and we got a one-on-one -on -one out there, and the most I've ever seen this get, well, of course, Julio scored on it against LSU in 2011. But outside of that, outside of Julio's touchdown, I think the most yards I've ever seen us get on that play is minus two. Why do we run that? Can you answer me there? Like, why do we run that? Devontae and, and Waddle and them used to be pretty good at that play. I mean, well, it's in a, the NFL. And that play, that play is not designed, in my opinion, to be a big yardage play. That play is designed as sort of almost like a running play but you've got to make the one guy miss. That's that's the whole premise of that thing is you've got to make one guy miss because your 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 co cohort out there is going to block the nearest guy, mm -hmm. and the second guy on the scene, you've got to make him miss. And if you and can't make don't. him miss, then you're in, you're in trouble. And and we've not we've not been good at that this year, of course. But but you got to have quick feet. And, of course, you've got to call the play at the right time when the second guy is well off the line of scrimmage, too, to give yourself an opportunity to make that miss. If they're both up within seven yards of the line of scrimmage, which it looks like we've done on a couple of occasions, that guy's on your guy by the time he catches the ball and he doesn't even have yeah. a chance to make a move. So, <clears throat> Which leads me to, to this, and I, I, every year I think we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I know we're going to pull this out. And we never do, which I understand we're probably going against a too deep zone. But when when we come out, when we, we're in a shotgun, so it's not like we have to worry about somebody that has shot the gap and, and is on us because we're under center, under center. We're in shotgun, as we know, because we run everything from shotgun. Even fourth and inches we run from shotgun, as we saw Saturday. My thing is this, why don't we do, even if you're running cover two, so you got the, the safeties are covering half the field, you know, safety one's covering left half, uh, safety two is covering the right half. Okay, so snap the ball, pump fake that quick screen, and then let the guy – actually, what I would do is I would let the guy stop blocking. I would let him go deep, and then you're, you're still – you're one-on-one. -on -one. You're one-on-one -on -one with that deep safety, and the safety's coming over. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of options on the, your route tree that you can do, but we just never – we always run that quick screen. And I understand it's, it's the same as running up there, – there's a reason we do it, 100%, or else we wouldn't do it. But it's the same as running up the middle. You know, why do we run up the middle? Well, because, you know, in the first quarter you get two yards or three yards and you wear the defense down. By the time fourth quarter rolls around, you're getting six, eight, ten yards on the, the right up the gut. So that has a purpose. But, man, the, the side screen – it's just so frustrating to watch as a fan. I'm sure the coaches love it, and boy, when you draw it on the on the blackboard, uh, I'm sure it's simple. But you get you get a seal here, 
and you get a seal here, <laughs> and then you go. Well, they, you know, we don't ever get the seals, but uh, the the penalties in the game were just outrageous, in my opinion. And, yeah, I heard it a lot today. I'm sure you did, too, if you talk football with anybody. Oh, Bama's got the refs in their back pocket. And, you know, I normally let that stuff go. I took umbrage with that today. I'm like, dude, we had 15 penalties. We have a guy who's reportedly the best player, arguably the best player in college football on the defensive side of the ball. He has played around, I would guess, 30 games. I don't know how many games he played as a true freshman. Did he start as a true freshman? I'm talking about, of course, number 31, Will Anderson. But we played in 20 – so we're in 2022. 2020, we played 13 games. We played 10 plus one plus the two. Last year, we played 12 plus the one plus the two. So he's played in around right at 30 games. Tom, I don't think I have ever seen him called for lining up in, in the neutral zone penalty, and we got it twice. I, like, I told, uh, I told I don't Jimmy when I'm sitting – yeah, I told Jimmy when I was sitting here watching it, or, or no, it was Mitch, I guess, I was talking to. I said, somebody from Texas, whether it was Sarkeesian or somebody, talked to the ref ahead of the game and said, look out for this. He's crowding the line of scrimmage. He's over. Somebody had their eye on him doing that, and, and that was in the pocket of, of, of somebody to make them watch for that and specifically call it. Because I got overzealous on it, because I agree with you. He's been lining up the same way for two years and and he's fine. And then all of us. And and here's a, one thing on the big noon kickoff. Did you see any of those replayed where they goes? Oh yeah, here clearly you can see him over the line. They never showed no. any of them. No, the I was one, waiting. The second one they showed. They showed where he was lined up. They never got the telestrator out to draw a line. And I, the first one, I don't know. I don't remember seeing the first one, but the second one. I mean, was he over? Okay, sure. I don't know. I mean, do you want to get your 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 uh, nimbus out? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a, a catchy your measuring uh, your plumb bob. <laughs> do you want to get your plumb bob out and see if he's offsides? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like when Clemson was offsides against us in the 2015 national title game. I, you know, you can rewatch that. The dude is in the backfield. Like his yeah. hand is at our toes. Of the offensive lineman. He's way offsides. I just didn't see it. But 15 penalties and the, the – you know, we had one face mask on the sideline and I rewatched it today and uh, Xavier Worthy, it was double face mask. He grabbed our defensive man's face mask. He didn't mean to. But you know what? Hey, our defensive guy didn't mean to grab him. Just because you don't mean to do something don't mean it's a penalty, you know. And the what was the, the worst penalty I have ever seen called – on a number of fronts, was the Bryce Young penalty in the end zone where we it, it it was a safety. Well, I don't. It's it's even hard to discuss this, but okay. So Bryce is third down. He's gonna he's about to get sacked, and he is laying on top of a guy. So that's the only reason it's not a safety because he was not down yet. He put his left hand down. Luckily, his wrist touched instead of his forearm, or else they would have called a safety. And then he throws the ball, which is legal to do because he's technically not down. And we actually had a receiver in the area. What was funny is after replay, the, the exact thing that should have been called ended up being called. But the problem is this. They threw a flag. And they said, now, on a tar- if they throw a flag and they say targeting, they can look at that play and they can either confirm targeting or deny targeting and take it off the board. But they said... 
roughing the passer with targeting. So at that point, we've we're, we can do no wrong. We we've got 15 yards and an automatic first down. But what do they do? They go back first time ever and they look at the play and they're like, "Crap, we blew that one." Uh, you know, I'm sorry. Hey, calls are blown. You know. And, and Saban said this right here, and I think this is why I'll quote Saban what he said in the press conference today. He says, and quote, first of all, the way they called the play, roughing the quarterback with targeting. That can't re- they can't review roughing the quarterback. It's not reviewable, but they did. So they not only took off the targeting, which there wasn't targeting. Bryce was not down when he threw the ball. One of their players actually touched the ball, so that didn't make it intentional grounding. We did have a player in the vicinity. Jace McClellan was in the vicinity. But the bottom line is they made up their own rules as they went. Obviously, the Big 12 refs were not ready for the big noon kickoff. Hey, and, you know, that has gotten a lot of air over the weekend. And, and like you said, if, if you've got any animosity towards Alabama at all, it's a big ref choke job. You know, it's a, it's a big ref conspiracy to keep Alabama number one. Just I, there's all kind of stuff out there. But you know, one thing that people don't look at, besides the obvious, because you just you just nailed it succinctly right there. I mean, that, that it it was really biased against us instead of for us. But let's let's rewind it a little bit. What if they did give them a safety there? What if what if they went and said, oh, well, that's a safety? The game was 10. People try to think that Texas would have won 21 to 20 then. You know, that's what people are thinking. That cost them the game. The game was tied at 10 then. We punted out of our own end zone, and they got the ball on our 39-yard line. Our 39 going in. They only got Mm -hmm. a field goal out of it. They actually made a point there. Because if if we'd have given them two points and kicked off from our 20, they'd have got the ball on their own 35 instead of our 35, basically. Then they're likely not getting a field goal because they could mm-hmm. only manage about 20 yards of offense before they kicked it. So they're not getting a field goal. They actually come out one point to the better. Yeah. It, it just, you know, and, and the replay, replay is killing the game of college football. It is. It has made the refs lazy. They, anytime the ball is loose, they throw the beanbag. Even if they see that he's down, they don't have the guts to call it, and it, it it's terrible with the, for the flow of the game. And the main one I'm talking about, and look, when I say this, but I've said on this podcast before, I would be perfectly fine with getting rid of all replay. I'm talking about all replay because I think over a 10-year period, re, not having replay would probably make you, make you lose five games that you should have won over 10 years. And over that same 10-year period, I think you would probably win around five games that uh, you probably should have lost. So no harm, no foul there. And the rest of the calls would just wash out. But the one I'm talking about, the main one, they spot the ball on – it's third and one or whatever. Jameer Gibbs, I believe, gets to the line to gain. They give him a first down. And, oh, hold up. Let's look – let's make sure. Let's replay it. And, of course – Tom, when you slow down, when you slow the game down to milliseconds, my gosh, you can call pretty much anything you want to. I mean, you can set the ball up exactly where it needs to be, and you might be thinking, well, that's the way it should be. What what if you what if major league umpires, how let's let's switch to baseball. What if you're an umpire behind the home plate 
and you're calling balls and strikes and you know that every pitch is going to be video reviewed and they might buzz you and say, hey, we need to stop the game. That was actually a strike. How would you be a good umpire or would you just get lazy? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a fair uh, statement. Uh, I think they they definitely lose an edge knowing they have a backup or they always make the conservative call, yeah, particularly. Yeah. And, and, and I disagree with you on whether replay is good or not. I, I like it. I think it just needs to be tweaked. But it, to your point, if there's a fumble that he may or may not be down, they – I think they're taught now to err on the side of, you know, conservatism. Well, let's assume it's a fumble until we yeah. know for sure. Um, and that does slow down the game. But, uh, it does, but, but you how, can't get how many that whistle replays, back when you call it early. How many replays can you get on the first time you watch the, the replay, you're like, yep, that, that was a fumble, or nope, that was he was already down. And, I mean, 90% of the replays, I can watch it one time like, oh, well, that's out. That's out. Or, nope, that is right there, his elbow's down. That, that's, no, that's no fumble. And we have to wait three, four, five minutes to get the call, get the chain set back up. It's, it's just ridiculous. I wish they would do away with it. But uh, hey, I wish they'd keep it and do away with some of the commercials to cut the time down. <laughs> they make enough money off that. <laughs> well, a couple of things to close out because we need to go ahead and get to the recap of the other games and get to the game of the week, which is Bama, Louisiana, Monroe, because this is a Bama podcast. And then we'll also talk about Auburn, Penn State, probably, I guess, the biggest game, well, the biggest non-conference game this weekend. But, in the, you know, we had 15 penalties. Do you know how many penalties we had in the fourth quarter? I don't recall. We had zero. And yeah. we played well in the fourth quarter. We had 136 yards passing. Bryce, if he had not already won the Heisman, he would have had his Heisman moment do, uh, dodging the the corner blitz. Just a fantastic play. Won us the game. Ultimately won us the game. But, you know, we closed out strong, which is the kind of the opposite. It's the opposite of the Florida game. We got a close win. Uh, but Florida last year, we jumped on them. They had to hold on for dear life. This one, we slopped around. And in the fourth quarter, we really turned it up. So it's a, it's a different both both times I'm mad, but it's a different mad because man, it just it's worrisome about our wide receivers why we couldn't get them going more often, you know, better. But like Sark admitted last week is he said the the game plan for Bama's been in for three months, so they put all their eggs in this basket. I mean, they had Louisiana somebody in week one. This coming week, week three, they got UTSA. So yeah, they could they could sleepwalk through week one and week three, and they put all their eggs in the Bama basket, and and you know we beat them by one. But I got news for Texas, that ain't gonna work when you get in the SEC, brother. You play Bama week two, and guess what? Week three, you travel to Arkansas. Week four, mm. you host Florida. Week five, you travel to Missouri. Week six. You host South Carolina. And I know all the names I just threw out there were not big time. You know, I didn't say Georgia, Florida. schedule. Yeah, well, but still, it's conference (laughs) games, and they have an opportunity to beat you. And my last point, you mentioned it earlier, moral victory. I mean, dude, we we gave a blue blood a moral victory. Do you know how big that is? Like, do you think if we went to Clemson and one by one, they would be happy? You think if we went to – Ohio State one by one, they'd be happy. No, but Texas is so far down, they are happy with a one point loss, and that is just icing on the cake. Yep, 
Well, let me tell you a few quick observations of really the, the game breakdown. We've kind of danced around refereeing and that sort of thing. But one thing I thought our run defense was really good Saturday. You know, we were facing probably the leader for the Dope Walker Award this year in Bijan Robinson. Yeah, we held him so. to 57 yards rushing on the day. He did get a touchdown, but that was – that was mired with one of those penalty drives that got them down there. I think we had back-to-back pass interferences or something to get them down mm-hmm. to one. But but nonetheless, I thought a run defense was really good all day. Our secondary, our secondary was way too porous. 292 yards given up. We had no turnovers. And it was glaringly obvious even to Saban during the game. You know, he ended up pulling Jackson. And putting in Terry and Arnold there, I think it was maybe in the third quarter. Uh, yeah. He just kept getting beat. You know, and this is supposed to be one of our strongest suits uh, of of the defense. You know, we've got a lot of a lot of uh, experience back there. We've got transfer all American that didn't really hit the field. I, I I just I'm not sure what's happening back there, but they give up almost 300 yards passing with no turnovers, and that that's got to change. Because that's going to be the way that teams are going to try to attack us. And that's kind of what they did last year. That's what I expect again this year. But uh, ho- hopefully they can get some of that going the right direction. The only other thing I'll say is on the offensive side of the ball, and I thought this was strange because I didn't – I still don't recall one. And I tried – at some point in the game I started looking for it, and then I just – I lost uh, I lost count, but I still don't recall – any deep balls for Bryce. Do you remember him trying to go? I'm not saying a completed deep ball. I'm just saying just trying to hit one over the top. I don't remember him throwing one. No, I, I don't either. And you have to throw one. To, you got to. You've got to keep them honest. You've got to keep, keep. like I said, you can't just run those bubble screens like you hate all day. Uh, it, you've got to throw. And, and it's just weird because we usually take some shots. And so I don't know if that's a lack of the receivers getting open, which I kind of think it is. That's the disadvantage of being able to watch it on TV instead of in the stadium. You don't see whether or not you have guys running open or or they're all double covered. It's it's more of a just following the camera. So I'm not entirely sure what's going on there, but I kind of I kind of got the feeling that the receiving core that we played on the first two weeks here will get shuffled up pretty good once we get JoJo Earl and um and Her- Harold back. Tyler Harold, uh, yeah. Yeah, from from injury. I think I read today that they were supposed to be back by the Arkansas game. So they're probably going to rest on these two next two uh, smaller games, including Vanderbilt. I know, Vandy, sorry. But uh, <laughs> those two games uh, maybe will give us a chance to sort of work on some of these issues, particularly penalties, particularly receivers. We had several drop passes, too. Not only could they not get open, we Man. had at least two yeah. or three drop passes and, and a couple in really critical times. And that, that you just you can't have that. We hadn't had that in several years, and that's unfortunate for us this year. But hopefully, uh, hopefully the two new guys will come in there and make it a, at least a competition. Iron sharpens iron, you know. You, the 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 mm. the better the other receivers are, I think it'll make the existing receivers even that much better. But uh, we've got to get better in that position. And I I don't I hope. I hope going forward there's one thing that we also need to clean up, and I think this 
goes to your bubble screen comment. I think we need better play calling on the offensive side. I, I don't mm-hmm. see, I don't see the, I guess the diversity of play calling, the surprise plays. I'm not talking about trick plays. I'm just talking about plays that keep the defense off balance. We didn't mm-hmm. really go fast Saturday. That's one of the we things did in that the fourth we've done quarter. well in the past. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and I know some of that is dictated by down and distance and whether or not you had the incompletion or picked up a first down or something. But you can you can implement some of that stuff in times that are not scripted. And, and we just, we didn't do any of that. And again, hey, credit Gary Patterson, the next Nebraska head coach with that uh, defensive effort there. I didn't even realize he was playing uh, or coaching the 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 guys for uh, Texas until I saw him on camera Saturday. Yeah. So, but he's good. Yeah, for sure. Ultimately, a win's a win. Twenty to nineteen, I'll take it. You know, at the end of the year, if we get to where we want to be, twelve and zero going to Atlanta, this will just be a little footnote, no big deal. So, had some other good games across the country this week. We had Florida and Kentucky. Kentucky winning two in a row versus Florida, and Tom. Rest in peace, Anthony Richardson's Heisman hopes. It lasted one week. <laughs> Kentucky looks strong. They're they're a good team. Play good, very good defense. Their quarterback is pretty good uh, taking care of the ball. He uh, they're a physical team. I watched that. I thought I thought Florida played physical on the offensive side of the ball against Utah. Particularly on the offensive side of the ball, I didn't think either one of them did very well defensively. But Kentucky come out there with their defense and and really out physical Florida the whole game. Uh, I was really impressed with the Wildcats. Mm-hmm. It wasn't surprising yeah. to neither me or you. We both picked that game, but still, I thought that was a a, a big win for Kentucky on the road. A question on this next game: Is Arkansas the best team in the West? The best team in the West, you name besides yes. us? No, I'm not including asking. Including us. Well, including us. Are they? I mean, it's a yes or no question. Oh you can say yes well, or you can say no. No, obviously not. Obviously not. Okay. But they're good. They're not the best. That, that would make them a playoff contender. They're not a playoff contender. But I will say this. I think Jefferson has proven himself week in and week out to be probably the second best quarterback in the league. I don't I, – I don't, I don't envy us playing him in two weeks on the road or three weeks on the road. He's he's going to be tough to handle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But they uh, they made waste of uh, South Carolina, which South Carolina is not that good. We didn't. It's not like they beat one of the top three teams in the East, but still, it was a it's a conference win. And it, hey, hats off to them. And then the last bullet point is we talked about the Sun Belt. It, it, true, yes or no? Is the Sun Belt the third best conference in the country? <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you know? Did you know if you'd have put a hundred dollars on a money line parlay of Georgia Southern, Appalachian State, and Marshall, that hundred dollars would have paid one hundred eighteen thousand uh, dollars. You had Georgia Southern beating Nebraska. You had App State beating A and M. You had Marshall beating Notre Dame. All of those losses were delicious, especially you the know, Notre you- Dame. Oh, who on this very podcast? One of the podcast members has said all year that Notre Dame is overrated, and bam, I am 100% correct. You know, it's funny you put that uh, Moneyline Parlay blurb on there. 
I read today that Caesars took a bet over the weekend, $50 on a Moneyline parlay that actually included App State and Marshall, did not include uh, the third team you had listed on there, Georgia Southern, but they had yeah. App State, Marshall, and Washington State in a three-game Moneyline parlay, paid the nice $35,000. Jeez, nice. That's a nice yeah. wager, nice wager. Yeah, it is. But Notre Dame, uh, their head coach Freeman has started out 0-3. He did put coach the bowl game last year. Jimbo, Jimbo, what is up? You sacrificed two games last year to beat Bama. Dude, it is early in the year to be sacrificing games to be working on Bama. And their <laughs> schedule, it's, it's – but it, you're talking about – we'll get to this, I'm sure, on our when we talk about our bets. You know, they host Miami, who's number 13 in the country, and they're six-point favorites. So – I don't know. We'll see what they. We'll see what Miami has, but their schedule is no cupcake. I mean, they've got Miami coming in. They've got to go to Bama. They've got Arkansas and Dallas, and I mean, they could easily be six and six. And I tell you what, I know they they desperately want Jimbo to get to next year to to get the this class that he bought to the sophomores. But man, at six and six, I don't know that he makes it. I really don't. You may, may want to take those players that you've bought and let somebody who can actually coach them, coach them. <laughs> True. All right. So, man, so what are we working over, on this week? We're way over time. Uh, but it's fine. You know, the game of the week is, is Bama losing to Monroe. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I mean, I, I put on here, honestly, this is exactly what I wrote down. Who cares? Let's get better. And that's what, it go, that's what it's going to boil down to. Let's get some continuity with their offensive line. If Dalcourt is the answer at center, let's roll with him. If McLaughlin is the answer at center, let's roll with him. I saw somebody say move Ikior to center, put Booker at guard. Whatever, whatever it takes. Let's get some gelling and some continuity with the offensive line. Let's get our receivers running some deep routes, running some crisp routes so we can get Bryce – in tune with them because we do we've got a tough schedule coming up and you know continue let's defensively let's let's flex our muscle and try to pitch another shutout if at all possible but this this is a cupcake game and it's in a good spot it's right after texas when you texas will be an emotional game and it was it was difficult we came out with a win but Liz monroe will be a, a, a much needed break this weekend yeah, this is definitely a work-on-ourselves game. I, I think we, we've got to see something out of the receivers. We've got to see them catch the ball. We've got to see them run crisper routes. This will be a lot easier to get open in this game, so we won't know a lot. But they've, they've, got, to, they've got to play to the standard and not play to the opponent, as we say. Penalties are yeah. something that we can definitely work on. Now, I don't care who you're playing there. Penalties is something that, particularly things like offsides, illegal motion, false starts, those things – are mental more than they are just, uh, you know, opponent uh, induced. But um, that, and I think we need to, I think we need to concentrate a little bit on the rushing game. Our rushing game was not where it should have been Saturday. We had McClellan no. break off the 85 yarder or 81 yarder, whatever it was, which was awesome. And he was our best rusher of the day, although he didn't get the most carries. He was the most productive. I mean, even taking off the 81 yarder, he averaged more per more yards per carry than Gibbs did, which was surprising. Now, Gibbs, as I alluded to before we played Texas, we expected him to get a lot more uh, catches out of the backfield, and boy, did he. He was our leading receiver last week. So I think that's something that you'll continue to see all year because that is a weapon, but you need to be able to run the ball between the tackles and be effective of it. 
and uh, that 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 was certainly not the case on fourth and inches, uh, which again I'm with you. I thought we actually had the first down on third down, but nonetheless, yeah. uh, that work on ourselves and let's go. Now you've got the other game of the week. I'll just move right into it. You've got Auburn and Penn State. Quickly on this, I have a couple of things. Penn State is a three-point favorite. They've moved into the top 25 this week. Here's something that's uh, interesting to note. For the last four years, Auburn and Penn State have been very close to being even on the recruiting trail. In 19, 12, 11, this is Penn State first, Auburn second, 15, mm-hmm. 7, and 20, 21, 19, and 21. And then last year, Penn State had pretty much an anomaly class. They had the number six ranked class in the country, and Auburn had 21st ranked. So there was more separation last year than has been in a while. But over the last four years, they're pretty evenly matched as far as personnel on the field. So it'll be interesting to see. Penn State, I will say this, likes to throw the ball. They throw up a lot of yards. I think Sean Clifton, I think, is the quarterback's name. He put up a lot of yards for Purdue. They played a true road game already at Purdue. Not that Purdue's the SEC stadium, but they did go on the road, and they had to make a, a, a fourth quarter, late fourth quarter drive to win that game. So there's some experience there as a quarterback who's confident. And they're going to go play an Auburn team who struggled mightily at home against the pass with San Jose State last week. San Jose State had the lead at halftime. I know you know that. I was just mm-hmm. making sure we repeated it. <laughs> <laughs> but but San Jose State threw the ball all over the field Saturday against Auburn. So Auburn's going to have to do a lot better job against a much more talented team in Penn State Saturday to uh, win as an underdog at home, basically. Yeah, I haven't watched any of Penn State, and uh, I didn't watch. Of course, I didn't watch any of Auburn in Week One. I don't even know where they're on the Comedy Channel. I think Week One, but this past weekend I did watch a, a decent amount of their game, and man, they're just they're just not very good. And I, that is, if you know me, I am definitely a an all obsessed Bama fan. Like I'm paranoid uh, that Auburn's going to beat us every year, and they're going to make all the plays, and they're just they don't have the talent this year. I mean, I saw. The running back, just both running backs fall down in the backfield. And I don't know if Finley stepped on there, if they got tripped up by his feet. They're running a two-quarterback system. You know, they've got Robbie Ashford coming in who is cannot throw the ball. Why you even play anything but just run straight man-to-man, bring the safeties up to help – excuse me. Bring the safeties up to help with the, the run when Ashford comes in. He's not going to beat you with his arm. And – which I'm sure that works great for recruiting. If I'm a wide receiver, I'm be like, do I really want to go there? What, what's their offensive philosophy? They're all over the place. However, it is Auburn. And if there's any Penn State fans that have stumbled upon this podcast, let me tell you what to expect Saturday. Your team is going to call some plays offensively and defensively that they won't call the rest of the year. They've never called before, and they won't call the rest of the year. Like a, a double reverse flea flicker that Auburn will pick out of midair on the flea flicker and run it in for six, and you, they have never called that play, and you'll never call it again. But you're going down to the sacred Indian burial ground. Things get crazy down there, and I, I just predict Auburn does just enough to win. I'm looking at 17-14, 24-21, very close game. But there's no way I, I would take Penn State down there as a three-point favorite. Can't argue with you. 
But who would you take as a three-point favorite? You were undefeated last week, correct? Uh, I, w- I was actually 1-0-1. Oh, you talking about the bets last week? That's undefeated, sir. Uh, you're, hey, you're exactly right. I, I, I pushed on Pitt, and uh, we went 3-0-1 oh, on this podcast. So if you put in a four-game par, it reverted to a three-game par, and you cashed. I had Kentucky-Pittsburgh. Kentucky covered easily without right win. Pittsburgh pushed, and then you had Marshall and Iowa State. No problem at all with Marshall and Iowa State. What they win by three or four? Yeah, both underdogs. Both underdogs won outright. Got to be happy with that. Oh yeah, that's the kind you like. All right, so let's jump into uh, and remember this is for entertainment purposes only. And before we forget, uh, CFP predictions. We try to do this every week. We have failed to do it the the first the pre the week one and week two, but. Uh, one through four, quickly, who do you have going to the CFP if it was held today? Uh, I got Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, and Iowa State. Unchanged Bama, from last Georgia, week. OSU, and Iowa State. Yep, unchanged okay. from last week. I'm taking Georgia at one, and I'm going to put Bama at two, Ohio State three, Arkansas four. And the reason I dropped Bama is this right here. We do have a road victory, but, man, it was, just, it was not as good as we had hoped. And, you know, Georgia has really looked impressive their two games. But I will say this right here. If Georgia goes to South Carolina, they're 24-and-a-half-point favorites. If they go over there and they win by seven, I'll put Bama right back up there because it, it is difficult to win on the road. And bottom line is Texas is not a terrible team talent wise now i don't know what they're if they're going to come together are they going to go five and seven or eight and four or ten and two i don't know that but they have a collection of athletes like we both have agreed that b john robinson is the best uh, running back we're going to face xavier worthy is probably going to be one of the top definitely top 10 possibly top five wide receivers we're going to face all year so there's there's no shame in winning a close game we but we just felt like we were better than them but Georgia 1, Bama 2, Ohio State 3, Arkansas 4. And, of course, that will definitely change because there's no way three SEC teams will make it. I don't know if we even could make it, but there's no way they would let that happen. So jumping back up to uh, the bets for this week, Tom, who's your game one? Game one, I got Fresno State Bulldogs plus 12 over USC. Fresno State is 1-1 one one on the year, just lost to Oregon State this past weekend. And USC is number seven in the country, almost top five, and they're only favored by 12. Smelly fish time, Fresno State with a cover. What's that? Uh, Yeah, I agree. I saw that one, and I I agree. That that line you would expect to be higher, and it's not. My first game is is a a road favorite, which is uh, Oklahoma over Nebraska. And it's 13 and a half point line. I'm not, it's not that I'm sold on Oklahoma, but Nebraska is just a team in disarray. And the coaching change, I don't think it's going to make any – I think it's going to make things worse. So I've got Oklahoma uh, covering easily on the road at Nebraska, 13 and a half. Okay. I'm going to take for my second game, I'm going to take the old tried and true. Washington is a three-point favorite. Unranked Washington is a three-point favorite over 11th-ranked Michigan State. I'll take the small favorite here, Washington, to win and cover over the number 11 team in the country. My last game is Vandy plus one and a half over Northern Illinois. I think you can go ahead and 
and bet this like Van, like the game's already been played. Vandy's going to get the outright win. They don't need the one and a half. You take money line, you'll get a little bit better odds. But I see Vandy at plus one and a half. So coming off a stellar 3-0-1 week, we have Fresno State, we have Oklahoma, we have Washington, and we have Vandy. So put those in a nice little four-game parlay. You need to pay on a good book. It'll pay, what, 15 to 1? 10 to 1? 10 to 1 maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think 10 to 1. So anyway, these are for entertainment purposes only. And uh, you might be listening to us on 95.5. I'm not sure if, uh, if Huddy is going to put us on. He talked about it, and I think he uh, put the one from two weeks ago on last week. So maybe if we got uh, our wires straightened out with him. But uh, remember our Twitter feeds, at JTFBama98, at UARTSims, and at TargetingNot. And Tom, as I always say, if you're going to hate Auburn, you have to hate early and hate often. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Take it easy, guys.